Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Happy 100th. You look scarcely older than 90, which was celebrated when I was here a few years ago. Uh, Nancy and I are very happy to be with you today. Uh, we have many happy memories of our uh, five and a half years with you here at First Lutheran Church, uh, celebrating everything from weddings to baptisms and funerals, uh, making new friends and even going through the pain of losing old friends. We continue to pray for you all as you make a difference, not only in people's lives uh, for the kingdom. And I also need to tell you that maybe you see on the screen, uh, I'm very encouraged when I saw this in your recent newsletter, your uh, mission statement. The mission of First Lutheran Church Texarkana is disciple, equip the faithful to care for all and reach the lost with our communities and the world with the gospel. I mean, there, there are five words that just jumped out when I saw that. One of them is to disciple people. And I travel around enough to know that uh, the problem with many churches is they don't really disciple people in their faith. They're just happy they show up and put money in the plate from time to time. Although I could probably make a case that maybe the first thing we need to do in many churches is actually evangelize the people, make sure they actually know the gospel, and then teach them how to follow the gospel. That word equip, and I know pastors are always told, you know, we are here to equip and encourage people to do works of service in God's kingdom. I like that word care. We care for one another, and as we care for one another, we learn how to care for other people outside the church. And that word reach lost people. Now, sometimes reach means is relatively close. And sometimes you've got to reach a long way in order to touch somebody. Sometimes you have to reach them all the way in India or reach them all the way in prison or wherever it might be. And then the other word that struck me is that word with. It's always with the gospel, with the gospel. We're taking that with us everywhere we go. So this morning, as we kick off 100 years of celebration, I want to encourage you uh, through God's word, to continue making a difference, both as individuals and then with as a congregation. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather around your word today, we pray that we'd be the people who would indeed make a difference. Make a difference as a church and make a difference in our families, make a difference everywhere that we go. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think you're going to see the words of my text one more time. You've already heard it today from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. So we can kind of move on from that. But, you know, this Bible passage is a tremendous challenge to all of us. It says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, again, I, you know, when I look at the text, I always spot some key words. And the first word is only, and you're probably going to look at that and say, I don't see an only in there. And that's because in most versions of Scripture, only is not there. But the Greek text actually were, starts with the word monos, which means only. Now, one writer says it, it, it's kind of like just one thing is what Paul is saying to us. I mean, there, there's only one thing I want you to remember here. It's like only whatever happens. You ever see that movie City Slickers? There's a guy in there named Curly, and somebody asked him the secret to life, and he said, one thing. Only one thing really matters. And so what Paul is saying here is that whether he is set free from prison or whether he dies in prison, there is only one thing that he wants the people to know. 
The second word is worthy, which means to even out the beam. It's kind of balancing the scale so that both sides are even. And so to live worthy of the gospel, it means to live so that your life gives proper weight to all that God has done for you. I'm not going to ask you to do a non-Lutheran thing and raise your hand, but has God ever done anything for you? I think the answer would be yes. Now, the message translation says, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Jesus Christ. And the third word in that text that jumped out to me was conduct, which means to live as a citizen of heaven. Now, there's an old question that that people ask. If you were arrested for being a citizen of heaven, was is there enough evidence to convict you? Interesting question. See, two Christians ought to live in such a way that nobody can deny their identity. Now, I'm going to make three observations. Should be the next slide up here, verse 27. One is that salvation to be real must change the way we live. If you're not different because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you haven't paid attention to it. You haven't learned it yet. The second thing is unbelievers draw conclusions about Jesus by the way we live. You may think they don't watch But they watch and they look and they listen. They know who you are. And the third thing is in an increasingly pagan culture. And let's not kid ourselves. We live in an increasingly pagan culture. It's just not down at Hunt and Angola prison, friends. It's right here in River City. Well, rivers down the roadways, the Red River. But it's still here in Texarkana, whether you're on the Arkansas side or the Texas side. In an increasingly pagan climate, we can make a huge impact just by the way we live as Christ's followers. And this was this is vastly important, I believe, for Christians now who live in the 21st century. I mean, the the, the surrounding culture that you and I live in is increasingly hostile to biblical truth. I'm going to say something that that, that maybe offends some of you, but I just cannot understand how any God fearing, Bible loving, Jesus following person can possibly want to kill children when they're just about to be born or even afterwards and make that judgment. We live in a world where moral, spiritual, political, cultural, racial, educate, all kinds of things are changing from the way it used to be when many of us grew up. And that means that only those people who know what they believe and are willing to stand up and talk about it These kind of people will find a voice in the marketplace. The rest will be like a bunch of little church mice and will hide in the corners and hope it gets better when it might not. See, when Paul wrote these words, he didn't know whether he was ever going to get out of prison or not. He didn't know he was going to die there. He never knew whether he was going to get back to speak to these Philippians. So he had to assume he was never, ever going to be there again. And that's why this passage deserves our close attention. He said, there's just one more thing I want you to know here, folks. One more thing in case I never, ever see you again. And I guess I could have started my message that way today, too. Folks, I only got one thing to say to you. I mean, I may never, ever see you again. But if I don't get a chance to say it again, I'm going to say it today. And I may say it loud and long. How much time do I have, Pastor? Well, forever (laughs) until I'm done. Okay, let's discover four ways that we can impact the world. Here's number one. You should see it on the screen. We stand without division. It says stand firm in one spirit. 
Now, stand firm describes a Roman military formation in which the soldiers would kind of get in this circle. They would all be back to back with their spears pointing outward. This was the strongest possible defensive position. So impacting the world as Christ followers, members of First Lutheran Church, you know, we need to stand together in one spirit. Now, like some of you, I'm following the final four. Uh, go Duke. Uh, guns up. I like the fact that Texas Tech won the other day. Uh, sorry, Helen. They're not in it. In other words, we are not to divide. Uh, we yet sometimes we do. We divide ourselves. and We have we, a lot of trivial issues. There's already way too many barriers in the body of Jesus Christ. We divide by race, we divide by skin color, we divide by geography, we divide by worship style, uh, modes of baptism, we divide by what tribe we belong to. And to make matters worse, sometimes we're squabbling about secondary issues and not spending enough time preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a scandal that hinders the word of God today. See, when will we understand that unity literally makes the gospel beautiful? Now, in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus said that all men would know that we are what? We are that we are disciples by our love for one another. Now, I wonder sometimes as I go from church to church or prison to prison or wherever I happen to be, how the world views are sometimes divided churches. See, when we say God loves you, unbelievers sometimes hear that through the static of our intramural mudslinging. And we do a lot of that within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. See, the message comes through to some people outside the walls of this place that God loves you, but we hate each other. It's no wonder sometimes that other people outside the walls of the church don't want anything to do with what we have. Let's go to the second impact. It's strive without compromise. I think the text here says contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. I want you to notice two phrases here. The word contending comes from a Greek word, sunotheleo. There's your Greek lesson for the day, from which we get the word athlete and athletic. Now, when I watch football, you know, there's always these plays in the game where the guy's trying to score a touchdown at the end, and he just strains like crazy to get the ball across the, the line. And then we have to have replay after replay and after replay to see whether he actually broke that, that little line. And, and so Paul is saying this is, ought to be our offensive game plan, that we should strain to get the gospel out there, to reach it out as far as we can. And then look at the, the next phrase. It says, the, the faith, the faith. And that's kind of key, too. Uh, when you see the definite article there before the word faith, it almost always refers to the objective side of faith, not our inner belief, but rather the things in which we believe. And we, we need to push out that which we believe as far as we possibly can. And see, the faith of the gospel encompasses that great body of Christian truth that we are to disciple people in. Like, who is God? I mean, who really is Jesus? What about the Holy Spirit? What about human nature? Is it true we actually are 
are conceived in sin and born in sin and actually are sinful people. What is what are we talking about when we we talk about uh, holy communion or, or baptism, all of these things in which we believe? What does it mean by faith alone uh, through grace alone? See, put these words together, and I think this is kind of what they mean. We are to unitedly join hearts and our, join our hands and use all the resources we possibly have to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ by every means possible to every person possible. Now, let me suggest what this implies. There should be about five things here on the screen. One is that there is a faith we must believe. There's a central faith that we must believe that we are saved by grace through faith. And and this faith is worth striving for. This, This faith is worth doing battle for. I just spent four days in prison. I have to be careful how I say that sometimes out in public. People say, where have you been? I say, well, I just got out of prison. They all back away from me. Sometimes they say, well, where are you traveling today? Well, my parole's been revoked. Okay, uh, they back away from me. But, you know, these guys down in prison are striving for it because they know they live in a dark place down in a prison. It's a faith that must not be compromised. We don't have to, we don't, we don't back away and we don't want to be apologetic for any article of our faith. And this faith needs to be part of the basis of our unity. And this faith needs to be preached throughout all the world. Now, it says to all nations, and actually the Greek word there is tech ethnoi, to every ethnic group throughout the entire world. Yeah, I think when I, when I think about these things, this is pretty aggressive Christianity. This is not your mama's Christianity. This is not grandma's Christianity. This is not namby-pamby Christianity. Uh, this is hardcore Christianity. And we need this because so many Christians in this world are in full-out retreat. Now, we've retreated when we ought to be advancing in this world. And too many believers have been left, kind of been intimidated and are, have kind of left the battlefield to the enemy. And as much as anything, I think this is what accounts for the moral crisis we have in our country today. The other side is won in many cases because we simply have surrendered without a fight. And if we talk about any of the issues today, we just kind of get in our holy little huddle and we talk to each other rather than taking the message out in the streets and stand up for what we believe in. See, God's word to the church is always go forward. As far as I know, and I've looked at the Bible, I, I kind of go through this a lot. I'm kind of wondering what's in there. It always says, you know, go preach the gospel. That's Mark 16, Mark 16, 15. He called us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. And what are the first two letters of the gospel? G-O, go. I have never seen in the biblical narrative that first century Christians stood around and kind of wrung their hands in despair and said, Oh no, look what the world has come to. Look what the world has come to. Instead, I think they, they, they looked at each other and said, Look what has come to the world. These people we can deal with. Friends, I got to tell you, it's never, ever been easy to be a Christ follower. It wasn't then. It's not easy today. I mean, blessed are those who are so excited about Jesus Christ that they simply can't keep quiet about it. Let's take a look at the third impact, and that's to speak without fear. It says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Anybody ever opposed you for being a Christian? 
I asked that question four days in a row in the prison. Every hand shot up before I got done with the question. They know exactly what it means to be opposed to be a Christian. It says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Now, I love the sober realism of that verse. Paul is not sugarcoating the truth here. He said, you're going to be opposed. You just will be. So speak up anyway. Some people don't like your message. Don't let it stop you. Sooner or later, you're going to run into strong opposition. So what? Just keep preaching Jesus. Uh, my Bible, by the way, in John fifteen eighteen said if they hated Jesus, guess who else they're going to hate? They're going to hate people who follow him. They crucified him. And can, you, can we expect anything better? See, this verse contains a truth that just kind of jumped at me know, several months ago. It's something maybe I never considered before. But it's opposition to the gospel reveals spiritual reality. I think that's the sign that's talked about in verse 28. See, when people oppose you for your Christian testimony, you can be sure of two things. Number one, that you're going to heaven. And number two, that they're going to hell. That's pretty stark, isn't it? But don't be put off by the starkness of those words. That's precisely the meaning of verse 28. Genuine believers are proved genuine by the quality of their opposition. See, if nobody ever criticizes you for your faith, if nobody ever opposes you because of your faith, if you never ever make waves because of your faith, if everybody is happy clappy with your Christianity all the time, well, maybe then either something's wrong with your faith or it's wrong or you're hanging around with the wrong people. I'm going to say this in a very uh, very straightforward way. True believers, I'm going to say it this way. True believers annoy the heck out of this world. (laughs) They really do. Because they stand as a rebuke against everything that this world stands for. See, when we say that Jesus is the only way, guess what? They're going to call us arrogant. If we say, you must be born again, people are going to call us fanatics. If we say that the Bible is the word of God, they're going to say you're just nothing but a hillbilly from Ozarks. We don't say hillbillies in Missouri anymore. They they are uh, Ozark Americans. We have to get that correct. If we say, I know I'm going to heaven, they're going to accuse you of thinking that you're better than everybody else. It kind of goes on and on. I mean, we annoy people precisely because we are citizens of heaven. And we just live by different principles. See, Paul's advice is, don't be scared. Don't be frightened. And the Greek word for frightened, it really is kind of like a horse when something kind of comes off. It kind of jumps and kind of gets skittish and wants to run away. So don't be surprised when somebody criticizes your Christian faith. It happens to all of us sooner or later. And when trouble comes, we just need to be, have calm courage unconquerable spirit. We're supposed to speak up without fear. And what have we got to lose? You know, somebody said, <laughs> told me not long ago in prison, man, if they kill me for my faith, what, what a better deal. I get to go to heaven ahead of a few people. That's not a bad deal. See, it's better to be persecuted than it is to be the persecutor. This is one instance when it is actually better to receive than to give. See, Jesus pronounces a blessing 
upon those who are persecuted, what? For righteousness sake in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, that kind of persecution would kind of indicate you're probably a true believer. One last impact up here on the slide. Um, Sacrifice without shame. The text says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Did you spot the two um, gifts in that verse? Two gifts in that verse. There's the gift of faith, not only to believe in that part. That's the gift of faith. This is the gift that enables us to believe in Jesus in the very first place. Without that gift, we would never be saved. I don't think you're going to like the second gift. The second gift is the gift of suffering. Do you ever think about that? That as a Christ follower, you've been given the gift of suffering. It says we're privileged to also suffer for him. That's the gift that keeps on giving, but nobody wants to get it. Now, my question to you this morning, as you embark on your hundredth years, would you really, would you really like to change this community for Jesus? Would you really like to change the world for Jesus? And would you really like to be a credit to the gospel? Well, here's just one thing. One thing on Paul's heart to remember. You're a citizen of heaven. Live like it. See, you will impact the world if you will. And I think I got four last things. Stand, with, stand without division. Body of Christ. Strive without compromise. Speak without fear. And sacrifice without shame. May God help us all to make a difference for Jesus by the way that we live today, tomorrow, the next hundred years, and forever. God bless you all. Amen.